The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. We've heard from the IFA's uh, two presidential candidates and now we're going to turn our attention to the deputy president position. Alice Doyle from Wexford is running, as is Pat Murphy from Galway. Let's start with you, Alice Doyle. How how do you see the role of deputy president? Because it's 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 neither one thing nor another, in my belief. Uh, I suppose, uh, Matt, in the past, that's the way it has been. It has been just that you are support role to the president. If you read the rules of the organisation, that's basically what it says, that you are support role to the president. I like to think, you know, we're 68 years into the organisation now at this point in time. It might be no harm to shake up that role a little bit. Uh, the demand of what's on the president is increasing daily. So if that's happening, I therefore think that the deputy president will have to uh, increase their role as well. Uh, whereas they would, yes, their number one is support the, the president. But number two would be that they they would take on some of the tasks that the president might designate towards them uh, or give to them. So it's not that, that we will define the role totally ourselves. But I'd like to think too that if we would be given the opportunity in discussion with the president and possibly national council, that the deputy president might be able to define a pen discretion of the president of the day. I think a lot because, you know, as since you are the support role, uh, I think the president would uh, be given the right to, to tell you what to do or to ask, should I say, what you would do or what you would like to do maybe as well. I think that's the best way I'd like to put it, that the president would say, I would like you to do A, B and C, but what would you like to do as well yourself to, to complement what I am doing uh, as president? Pat Murphy, how would you see the role of deputy president? How do you see it or how would you like to see it? How I'd like to see it is... Could I definitely be in touch with the president on, a, on at least a weekly basis? I'd ring him every Monday morning just to go through the, the week and see what he felt was was necessary for me, but also to play my part. Because look, what, we're going around the country. We're canvassing the very same people. We want to make sure that we're part of that team. Bigger picture than that, I would certainly make the role my own in regards selling ourselves as farmers to our customers. I think we're very, very poor at that. I would like to lead a campaign where food is front and centre, that we can tell our customers in the supermarkets, in the cities and the towns across the country, of how good it is, that it's fact that it's produced locally, that the people that produce that are families, much like the people that are buying the food themselves, and that it's the, the role that all of us play in a rural community and in local economy. And if we can get that right then people might have a better appreciation and including government and including our retailers of the value of the food and of the the people who produce it and the farmers. So that would be my vision for the role of Deputy President. Well, it hasn't would, been done before. would you see it as an opportunity to take a more hands-on leadership role, um, perhaps more so than it has been previously? Definitely going to be more hands-on. I'm not going to be there just to... Uh, to make up the numbers. That's not what Pat Murphy does. Pat Murphy wants to be out in leadership and working with the President, not telling them what to do, but certainly to help the President out, to be in constant communication with him, be part of a team, but also to have my own role in that team as well. Alistair, I see IFA in recent times, in recent decades perhaps, as having more of a fire brigade role than an actual constructive role. 
You're probably right, Matt. It has developed into that, I suppose, insofar as that we've had so much coming at us that in a lot of cases we have just, we are acting like a fire brigade service. We're putting out the fires and we're reacting rather than being proactive. I definitely think going forward, we're going to have to look at being much more proactive, um, you know, not putting out the fires, getting to the, to the, the scene of the crime, as they say, before it happens. Um, so as to make sure that it doesn't happen, I think we need to get in in advance before a lot of these regulations come in. We need to get in with the department to work with the department, which used to be done, you know, a number of years ago where we would have had a very good relationship with the department. We would have known what was coming down the line and the department would have depended quite a bit on IFA to give them advice around certain regulations and whatever. That has died off a bit. I don't think it's anyone's particular fault, but it has happened. It's probably, you know, evolution of how these things happen. But I think we need to revisit that. And we now need to be more proactive in what we do. That word proactive rather than reactive. That we get in there uh, in advance, that we uh, put our mark on things. And I think we can. We, we may not be as influential as we would have been, you know, you know, 30, 40 years ago because of the numbers we had and the situation in the country. Politically wise, we would have had more influence. But I still think we can have quite a lot of influence if we use it correctly and use the, the people we have that are good at what they do to work with other organisations like the department, work in the European Union. Like we, we have very good people in Europe and we need to be working very hard there to make sure that we are preempting what is coming down the line and that we are ready to deal with it rather than reacting to it. What about that, Pat? Uh, has, has IFA lost the high ground, the, 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 the political or the public relations high ground? I definitely think that we say relations with the department are not as good as they were and I, I'm long enough in IFA now to see the changes coming in that. Like when give you reps for example when reps came out first IFA was in there helping negotiate that to make sure that it was a scheme fit for purpose with farmers I see back in the middle of the last decade that those communications or relations broke down and the department kept us in the dark and we had no input at all into any of the schemes that was being thought up of and I don't know why that was I feel myself it was very much to try and make sure that it fractured the vice of Irish farming. And that's why I think that we've seen the different farm organisations then splinter away from IFA and try and go on their own way. I believe that was a concerted effort by people in the department at the time to weaken, to make our IFA more weak in the eyes of the people. Um, and it's going to be very hard to get that back. I certainly would like to have a more healing role with other farm organisations to put the hand of friendship out there as Deputy President. We need to get back working together. We need to be more united in our vice. We're all farmers. We're all farm families at the end of the day. And the more divided we are, the less chance we're going to have. Isn't that healing almost impossible, though, given we've seen on the airwaves one organisation heckling another on, in public on Kildare Street? There's nothing impossible if you put your mind to it and you're humble enough to be able to say we can work together. What about that, Alice Doyle? Was that justifiable? The the row outside the, the department or I don't think that was justifiable, but I think that could have been prevented. Um, I think, you know, a little bit more negotiation with all the farm organisations prior to that 
that event would have prevented that uh, and we all didn't do our work there if we had done our work there by talking to the other organisations and making sure we were on the same pathway that morning that wouldn't have happened and I don't think organisations should the farming organisations should be fighting with each other we all have our own roles and I you know each individual organisation has its own role but it's also very important that we work together when we have something in common to work for but and is 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 is, is uh, the voice of Irish farming permanently weakened because of the huge numbers of, of different bodies representing various sectors. It is weakened, but I wouldn't like to put the word permanently on it. It is weakened, but anything that is weakened can be strengthened. We can certainly come back uh, and heal. You know, healing can take place. And I think a lot of that is going to be the, putting out that hand of friendship to dealing with people. And, you know, some of us are very good at that. We're good at leaning out to other organisations. We have good relationships. And I know I, in my own committee, I have dealt with other organisations or other groups that we haven't had a great relationship with over a number of years. And I've restored that relationship with them and I think that can be done uh, and it can be done with the ministers and it can be done in the department it's not something that can be done overnight but it can be done and it's down to personality sometimes that we put the right people out at the front to deal with other people and with a good way of bringing people with them and I think that can be done we won't be all the one organisation again like we were 30-40 years ago but we can still be individual organisations but we can work together with a common cause when we walk into the department and not sit in front of the minister fracture, you know, in a fractious state I think we can do that but that requires a lot of negotiation, a lot of advocacy in advance before we go into a meeting. Going, going further on that point, Pat Murphy, I, I, I regularly read uh, every year the, the IFA pre-budget submission and it's all things to all farmers, if you like, in my belief. You know, there, there's something for everyone and the department ultimately bins most of it because they don't, they don't really have to respond. Is that a fair reflection of where IFA is trying to represent everyone and not really being able to do that anymore? Well, certainly, when it comes to a pre-budget submission, all the views of all the different uh, committees are taken on board. From our point of view, at we'd say being regional chairs and being on the National Officers Committee, we have to then, we'd say, decide what are the vital things to go on. We always look for a one-pager that TDs and senators can say, what do you really want? And prioritise what you want. So that's why we look for the one-pager where the priorities are put down. The pre-budget, the main pre-budget submission goes in. It's it's looked at. Different committees will will lobby for it, but certainly our job is to see what's most important. What do the what are the real deal breakers for farmers, and what can get as much money into as many people's pockets as possible? That's our role as national officers to to sift through and with the farm business committee to sift through what are the main items that needs to be delivered on. There's a new and more varied voting system now in IFA. The, the organisation claims to have over 70,000 um, uh, members, yet a third, a quarter of that vote every four years. Why is that? Uh, people have, we'll say, got a bit disillusioned. There's no point in saying that it isn't. If you look at the numbers, was it 22 that came out last time? 28,000 came out the wrong before that. So our numbers are slipping. You mentioned before... Um, in your previous questions that look at those more fractured uh, organisations out there, our voice may not be as strong. So we have to look at that and try and ask ourselves, how can people come? Is it that there has COVID made a difference? Is it that people are getting more information now on the, on the media with, through their phones and that they don't feel the need to come to meetings? But we, we have looked at the new voting system to try and make sure that when we lobby, 
a minister or we lobby the Taoiseach that they can say, well, yes, you have 30 or 40,000 people voted out. You've got your turnouts up again. And that gives us a better mandate, which is more, which is why it is important that people actually come out and vote. Alice, around the same, around the same question is 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 the fact that you have relatively low polling compared to your your said membership is is that indicative of a lack of uh, loyalty, a lack of commitment to the aims and aspirations of the IFA? I wouldn't say it's a lack of loyalty to the aspirations of the organisation. I'd say it's a bit of apathy. Uh, and that is something that is increasing in every organisation, whether it's sporting organisation or farming. Uh, so there is apathy. And some of it too is the fact, I suppose, that we've taken our branches for, for granted. We've taken our members for granted too. We just assume they're going to turn out, uh, you know, every four years for an election without, you know, doing anything much to prompt them to do that in the meantime or maybe providing, uh, you know, a bit of encouragement at branch level to try and encourage people to come into their branch meetings to come and discuss what needs to be discussed. But I think looking at the new way of doing this election, we're going to give people an opportunity now to cast a vote. And remember, casting a vote is a democratic right. And if you're a member of any organisation, you're entitled to vote. So if people have become a little bit apathetic towards coming into meetings and find them, you know, a bit boring and they don't see the reason. And we also have an older membership. We don't want to be out late at night. Uh, And we have a younger membership. We don't want to come out at night either. So we need to look at another way of getting people to, to have their democratic right, to have their say in the organisation. So I think the postal vote will give them the opportunity to do whichever they want to do. They can come out to the branch meeting if they still want to do that and I hope they will. That's the one area I would like to see them come out to do. To do. But if they don't, they still have the right to vote. And I know, for example, like we talk about having 72,000 members in our own branches and that I look at carefully, we would have, you know, quite a sizable membership. If we got maybe 50% of that out, it's a good turnout. But what we do realise is that at home, for every one that came out, there's probably at least one, if not two votes at home of people who'd said, Anna, you go ahead and vote for tonight. That'll be all right. Tell us what happened. But now if they have their own individual vote, they can cast it. And I think it will give a mandate to the the candidates going forward and to the person that wins in the end to do the job, knowing that they have been given a mandate from the full membership of the organisation rather from the ones who just came out to vote on the day of the national situation in, in politics anyway. We don't have huge turnouts. OK, but perhaps not to that extent. But um, at the risk of repetition, your last comment, why should, why should IFA members vote for you next month? For me personally, yes. I, well, for me personally, because I think I'm the best candidate. Uh, I think I bring something to this that no other candidate has has ever brought to IFA or will bring to it. In that I am a full time farmer, but I am also have worked off farm like many farmers, farmers' wives and partners, and I have contributed to the farm in that. I represent the the farm family totally in that I've worked on the farm inside and outside, and I understand the whole ambit of of farming. But I also bring a skill set of leadership, of advocacy, of negotiation that I have developed from my off-farm skills that I can bring on to my, into this role uh, and I think that's going to be very necessary for IFA going forward. It's a big organisation needing a skilled leader. Pat Murphy, your last uh, comments as well. Why, sh- why should IFA members vote for you in November? Because like so many people that are out there that will be voting, I'm a family man as well and I know exactly what families are going through. I have three kids in college down in Limerick at the minute so I have that stone in the shoe that so many fam- other family members have out there. I've also a track record of, of in IFA. I've over 20 years experience representing farmers at various different levels. I have negotiated difficult um, negotiations on behalf of IFA and the Greenways is one example. Flooding is another. I'm 12 of the last 14 years on National Council so I know how National Council work 
Um, I've been county chair in Galway. I've been regional chair. But more importantly, I have that ability to listen to people, to listen to their concerns, which I think we have lost in IFA, and to try and deliver for them. So that's my big selling point, being a family man that knows the challenges that, that so many other farm families are living and facing on a daily basis. Pat Murphy, Alice Doyle, both candidates for the IFA Deputy President. The best of luck in your endeavours. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Esguardo Hijazi, a new entrepreneur on the Irish scene. He's the managing director, CEO, I think is the proper title, of Micron AgriTech, an emergent technology that I, I think has come out of TU Dublin. But let's ask him first. Daniel, you're very welcome to the farm show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So Micron AgriTech is a spin-out of Technological University Dublin, Ireland's largest university. We began by looking at the issue of antimicrobial resistance to medication, which is becoming a major problem. And essentially, in December, we launched Micron Kit. And with it, vets, farmers, prescribers are actually testing animals for parasites with their mobile phones, through our app, and getting results within minutes to an artificial intelligence model. So they, they can make a decision on whether the animals actually need medication or not. And if they need it, they can target the treatment off the back of the test. Danielle, this really is cutting-edge technology because previously for most parasitic infections, you would have had to engage in culture and so on and so forth. It could take several days. Yeah, this is it. I mean, look, the alternative for decades has been to send samples off to a lab for testing. And in Ireland, that can take up to five days to get results. Highly, highly inconvenient. And I mean, you know, as well as I do, Matt, that farmers' most valuable asset is their time. And, you know, having to wait five days for a result to come in before you can give the animals a dose, especially if they really need it, it's just inconvenient. It doesn't work logistically. So for the most part, what farmers have been doing is giving a blanket dose of medication as a preventative measure regularly. But obviously now with Micron Kit, they can actually test the animals right there and then, get those results within minutes and administer medication only when needed, you know, saving time for the farmer on the dosing, saving cost on the dosing, but also making sure that if the animals are infected with something, the treatment is targeted so that yield can be maximized and you get the best performance out of the animals. And also the animals are healthy and happy that way. And of course, apart from the immediacy of the results, you have the various add-ons. Let's start with a diminishing of this resistance that's coming to the fore in in animal medical protectives. This is a really worrying development. Uh, We've been seeing it over the last few years grow in prevalence, but we're seeing parasites uh, that are resistant to the medications that we have available. And we only have a couple of active ingredients and it takes decades to develop new ones. You know, when when a farm becomes resistant to a specific type of medication, there's nothing you can do with those animals. They're resistant. And so it's really important that we ensure that we're using the medication as intended and in the best way possible so that we extend its, you know, its, its lifespan of use for as long as possible. And with Micron Kit, obviously you can target the treatments to make sure you're only medicating when needed, but also Using our uh, resistance test, uh, you can actually see how effective the medication was and track resistance to medication on farm. Uh, so really, really important thing to be doing. I, I won't go into the, the, the scientific or technological background of this because the, there's no need. It's, it's, it's basically available on a phone app. It has application not only, I, I would suggest, in an Irish livestock context, but, but this is a global, has global potential. 
Yeah, it's a truly global problem. Um, and on top of that, you know, these parasites can actually also be zoonotic. They can also impact humans. Um, so we take our, our goal, our mission very seriously, you know, trying to reduce the use of medication, ensure that resistance doesn't build up. Because at the end of the day, what happens in animal health has an impact on human health also. So it's not only global, but it also impacts humans. Um, and we're also constantly working on developing new tests for different diseases. Just a couple of weeks ago, we, we launched um, a fluke test. So you can actually now test for liver and rumen fluke with the app as well and get results within minutes. A very problematic disease, as, as, as many farmers will know. Um, so yeah, truly global potential, a lot of areas that we're looking to tackle um, and make an impact in. And in this particularly wet year, an awful lot of uh, rain has fallen, the likes of fluke parasite, an, an increasing problem in, in Irish herds. Yeah, it's become super endemic. Five years ago, it wasn't as prevalent as it is today. It's it's becoming more important, more prevalent, especially as the the weather changes. So they are they're, they're things that we need to tackle head on. And they're challenges for farmers. They're challenges from multiple different angles. And I think technology has a, a big part to play in assisting the farmers, assisting the vets to be able to tackle these issues while still ensuring that they're remaining profitable, that the animals are productive. I should ask you, and, and my listenership will want to know, is this very expensive for the user? At the moment, pretty much every region in the country is covered by one of our systems. The systems are operating in vet practices across all of Ireland, also in different co-ops around all of Ireland. Um, and so basically any one of your listeners, whether they're a farmer, an animal owner, or also works for equine, can go to their vet, to their local co-op, and they can ask about the system. And there's a high likelihood that they'll actually be able to, to use it. And for a farmer or an animal owner, it'll just essentially entail bringing a sample to that vet or having the vet take the sample on site and then they'll get your results within minutes. And from a cost point of view, you're just paying for that test. But actually, there is actually a great thing. There's something called the TAZA scheme, which is being run by Animal Health Ireland. And basically, every farmer in the country is actually entitled to two free tests this year in a veterinary consultation for parasite management. And our system is approved for use under that scheme. So actually, all of your listeners can avail of two free tests to their vet already. They actually don't have to pay anything. Well, we're talking finance, Daniel. You and your, your colleagues won Best Startup at the Innovation Awards at the Ploughing last year in 2022. I assume that attracted the kind of finance that's required for any startup to get to get up and running. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And we see that, it, you know, where the technology is sort of deep technology as ours, as advanced technology as ours, you do need a lot of funding to build that correct, that right team to develop the technology. And just a couple of months ago, we announced the closing of our, our third funding round. We closed 2.7 million euros from leading Irish investors. And we're using that to scale the technology globally and make it more accessible to farmers, vets, animal owners all around the world. I, I can easily see why this would be attractive to venture capitalist funders. I mean, it's it's applicable. It has global potential. What's not to like about it? We mentioned the, the side benefits, if you like. Another mitigation of methane emissions. Describe how yeah. that's part of it. These parasites that we're testing for, they live within the gut of the animal or in the case of fluke in the rumen or in the liver of the animal. And that has an impact on the animal's efficiency at processing feed, at you know being more productive. And so what we actually see is that when animals are infected with parasites, they become less efficient. You need more feed to grow them. They gain weight less. And also their emissions actually increase by a significant amount. We're talking, you know, 20 to 30 percent increase in emissions just from having these parasites in them. So when we test the animals, 
Um, and we can see, all right, this particular animal has a strong gall infection. It has a, you know, coccidiosis. It has liver fluke, whatever. We can give a targeted dose to that animal to ensure that that infection is brought down. The animal's emissions are brought down and they become more productive, more efficient at processing the feed and obviously a, a healthier, happier animal as well. Daniel, just as a concluding remark, perhaps you might tell me about the, the global end of it. I mean, you have to walk before you can run. I know you have widespread application around Ireland. What's the what's the global, what's the international interest? Yeah, of course. So we just launched in the UK just about, uh, I think, two months ago through a, a partner there locally, uh, Bymeda. And um, so we just launched in the UK. We're making a big tra- traction in the UK market as well. But after the UK, we're going to be looking at the European region. Again, a lot of potential there. But as we were talking about earlier, the product really has a global potential. So we'll be looking at markets like New Zealand, Australia, uh, the US, Canada, and really scaling the technology. You make it as, as accessible, as available as possible so that farmers all around the world and their animals uh, can benefit from this test, then treat approach. We have a number of patents on the technology. That's a really important aspect of, of, of what we're doing as well. Of course, as we're building, you know, cutting edge technology that doesn't exist. And um, so it is a really important aspect of it to keep it protected, uh, safe. Yeah. So that we can scale. Daniel Esquardo Hijazi, CEO of Micron Agritech. Thank you very much for joining us this evening and the best of luck with your endeavors. Thank you for having me, Matt. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Yesterday I had a most enjoyable tour of Kerrygold Park, the facility down in Cork developed by Arnua. And I got an opportunity to speak with the interim CEO, Donald Buggy, about the new development and indeed the ongoing success of, of Kerrygold. It, it really is a wonderfully positive story, Donald. It, it is indeed. And it, it's a, today is a really exciting day for both Arnua and the Kerrygold brand. We've, we've doubled the size of this plant. So we've gone from 40,000 tonnes to 80,000 tonnes. Uh, capacity, put that in perspective, that's a million packets of butter a day can be produced in this plant. Um, and that, that will facilitate our growth ambitions, mainly in the US, over the coming years. Yeah, and the great thing, all our farmer listeners, this is going out on, on, on KCLR Farm Show, of course, um, is that our, our listeners can feel they're part of it. This is a cooperative. This is their plant. This yeah. is their plant. It's their brand. It's their butter. And because they produce the best quality butter, milk in the world allows us to produce the best quality butter. So they're an intrinsic part of the story. Now, our new talk butter production for the Kerrygold brand in-house, if you like, with the development originally back in 2016 on this site. I presume the success of that is why we now have a, a, an Adiran development. We, we, 2016, we opened the original site and we thought it would do us 10 plus years. And five years later, we had to build the second part of it, double it again. So, yes, absolutely. The, the phenomenal su- success of the brand in international markets, driven largely by the U.S., but it, across the globe, it sells phenomenally. Yeah, it really has caught the imagination of the American consumer, the the, the, the texture, the taste, the yeah. color, everything about it and, and, and the fundamental naturalness of it. Yeah, I think it's probably caught the, the, the attention of... Uh, consumers worldwide to be fair America being such a big population probably is where you get the greatest uh, success COVID helped a lot people baking from home the Americans use Kerrygold as a premium product a premium ingredient in their baking and that has been a big driver of, of the growth and speaking of growth your ambitions uh, going forward 
to repeat what we've done over the last five years, we want to drive this business on. The Currigo brand, I think, uh, was a 2017, 2018, we announced it was a 1 billion euro brand. We're very close to the 2 billion and hopefully an announcement in the near future on that one. And then we'll go for three. No, <laughs> no, no road without a bump or a bend yeah. in it. Uh, currently, international markets depressed somewhat in terms of price. How is that affecting our new Yeah, we've had a tough year. Everyone's had a tough year. The farmers, the, our member co-ops and ourselves have had a challenging year because we entered the year with very high prices and a very quick fall through the first half in those prices. It was tough for Arnoux as a brand because you're competing against products internationally that have a lower price than you would have had from stock held over from the previous year. But we've managed our way through that and managed our way through cleverly. Good news is we've seen in the last, and it's only the last few weeks, but we've seen a stabilization, if not an increase in, in commodity pricing around the world. I think the GDT had a four in a row of increases, albeit off a very big decrease. So I think there's, there's hope there. I think everybody needs, the farmer, the co-ops ourselves, is a more stable, a, sta- a, a gently growing price that's stable. It will be a good one. So we get a little bit of stability in it and a, a gently growing is good for everyone. The volatility we've seen for the last two years is not good. Your brand anyway. <laughs> you're, you're managing Brexit, uh, I, I assume. More paperwork, if nothing else. That's about it, more paperwork. It, it, Brexit hasn't had that much of an impact. I'm sorry, it's easy for me to say there's a big team working through the paperwork in the background, but it hasn't impacted our demand for our products, which was the key thing, and our pricing of that product. So, yeah, Bre- Brexit we've managed and we've managed it well. A lot of hard work by people, but we've managed it. Going back to the, the, the plant here, the degree of automation is absolutely astounding. And, of course, that... that provides you with what was looked for initially, I presume, that standardization of quality. Uh, yeah, and you've touched on the, the primary reason in back in 2016 why we moved it in-house was to get the standardization of quality. So you've got a premium brand, you've got to, you've got to make sure it has a consistency on the shelves no matter where you go in the world. So that, that was that original thing. The extension of the plant is obviously about extra capacity, but it's also about allowing us to do product innovation. So we can do the product, the butter product, in different sizes, different formats, different packaging going forward. And that's what will drive premium value to our product. The consumer will pay more for the type of pack they want. Yeah, and those stick packs, just as a, as a, as a, as a final question, Donna, those stick packs, the, the logic for the development of those. Yeah, the logic is new in Ireland. We're all seeing this kind of nearly for the first time. Four years ago, I think it was, we looked at the U.S. market and over 70% of butter sold in the U.S., American butter, was sold in the stick format. The American consumer wants the stick format. We weren't providing it for them. So we've now entered that. We entered it about three years ago, but now we can really step it up with this new expanded plant here. And so if the consumer wants it in stick format, that's what we should give it to them. And of course, you have to meet consumer demand. There's, there, there are me-toos everywhere yeah, in the market. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But that's where the premium quality of our product comes comes home to roost. The consumer recognises that, that quality, that high quality, which is the best milk in the world, produced in Ireland, produces the best butter. Donald, thank you. Thank you. Now, there was... Uh a big day for our new down at Mitchellstown. I must say, I was I was blown away with the kind of automated robotics that are um, being introduced down there to to pack to produce and pack butter for the export market. Uh, well done to all concerned. Meanwhile, tomorrow, uh, John Purcell is hosting a podcast on the KCLR Daily, where he interviews Jim Power, known to most farmers uh, for his 
very knowledgeable approach to agricultural issues and part of the podcast interview relates directly to agriculture. Here's what uh, Jim had to say. Turn into another sector of the economy, Jim, agriculture. What's your view on the state of Irish agriculture from an economic perspective at the moment? Well, actually, um, you know, farming has been doing okay over the last couple of years, um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, weather conditions have been truly awful, uh, particularly this year. Um, that always has a huge impact on the farming community. Obviously, it's so weather dependent. Um, we, we've seen in recent months input costs, a lot of them falling, uh, particularly energy and fertilizer and so on, relative to where they were a year ago. Uh, but when input costs increased dramatically after the Ukraine war started, output prices for farmers also increased. So the net effect actually was that farmers, you know, continued to deliver reasonable growth in income last year and into this year. So far, farming is doing okay, but a concern you, you would have that I've kind of outlined is those Leo geopolitical events and their potential impact or possible impact on energy costs over the next six months will be one to watch for farmers because obviously agriculture is very energy dependent as well. Uh, but on the whole, um, the farming sector is doing okay, um, but there is the obvious um, medium, well, sorry, immediate, medium and longer term challenge for farmers in relation to the environmental agenda. You know, there, there is a growing pressure to cut production um, of farm output in this country. Um, I'm dubious about this, I have to say, because um, if I look at the global situation, a growing global population um, that will require a significant increase in food production. Um, food production around the world is being significantly distorted by climate change. So I, I think actually in the longer term, there will be a huge focus on countries like Ireland for food production because a lot of countries will now become increasingly um, undermined as food producers because of climate change and extreme weather events. And, and despite the weather here, Ireland is still in a relatively good position relative to many countries and is likely to remain so. So I, th I think Ireland's um, status as a food producing nation has got to be protected. And um, I, I, I just actually um, am sceptical about those environmental claims about food production. You know, we, we, need, we need to um, feed the global population. Mm, and do you think uh, that sophisticated argument has been uh, factored into the discussions or is it a bit binary? Uh, it's totally binary, absolutely. Um, it's, 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 it's all focused on what's happening here in Ireland. Um, the, the debate has certainly not taken account of the broader global situation. Uh, and I think that realisation will actually dawn over the next couple of years as we see increased flooding and droughts in food-producing countries like the United States, Canada, Australia, and so on. Um, so I, uh, I, I'd be actually very optimistic about the potential for the Irish agri-food sector to um, be a major global player in food production or an important global player in food production over the coming decades. 
food for thought there and no better man than Jim Power to deliver it and let's move over to Tullo for Eric Driver's sheep report uh, another large sale today in Tullow here with over 1,600 sheep on offer and land report the trade much improved again for those flesh lambs. We have seen this for the last week or two and certainly today is another positive picture for those fleshed. Uh, looking at the prices then, those lambs over 46 kilos, they're selling today there from 147 and 8 up to a top call there of 161 today with a majority there between 150 and 155. The store trade here, good lively trade also, uh, with the weather really playing its own game, you'd imagine, but uh, yet here a good st- steady trade for those nice clean 30, mid 30 kilo stores. The 30 to 33 and 4 kilos they're selling there from 87 and 8 up to 95 and 6 there, with even some lots passing 100 there. One lot there, 34 kilos today. Yosen Weather's making 105 euros, uh, with nice lots there, 36 up to 40 kilos. They're selling anything there from 110 up to one. Uh, 124 and 5 there and a very strong trade for those clean uh, yos and weather types about the 40 to 43 44 kilos they say anything there from the mid 120s up to 132 and 3 but numbers not too plentiful in this uh, weight bracket cash yo trade lots of yos around here again today those heavier flesh yos from 160 up to 180 a kilo there a couple of pens there just touching in on 200 euro per head uh, with this lighter store yo there uh, we've seen them easier for the last couple of weeks and they're selling there from 130 to 150 but then you have to be mindful of the time of the year that we are meeting with weather so overall good lively trade here for the sheep and the flesh both in the cash show and in the hogger show here very strong trade well, that was Eric Driver thank you Eric uh, meanwhile in our diary the Burn Church Band that up and coming success story is performing at Clears on uh, Sunday evening the 29th that's the bank holiday weekend so well worth supporting elsewhere Dane's Fort Ploughing is postponed due obviously to poor soil conditions and uh, we'll have an update on that in the coming weeks and finally uh, a, a date that you can't afford to miss if you want to invest in farm safety measures uh, the deadline is coming up this Friday the 27th and it covers uh, a grant on PTO covers and quad bike helmets. So get your applications in if um, you want to be involved in that. After the ad break, we'll be back with uh, George and the Killian Hill Mart Report. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. KCLR Mart Report Sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart Serving the farming community for over 60 years Straight over to you, George Yes, indeed, Matt, today in Kilkenny Another good sale of cattle, 1300 and offer Maybe slightly smaller than last week A very, very good trade for the Continentals uh, You're seeing prices there from 270 to €3.20 And up to 3.45 per kilo That's for the top-notch Continental Bullock um, The planar types, there's some of them showing effects of the weather, Matt Which is natural enough because of the atrocious weather conditions we have been experiencing, or experiencing, should I say. Anyway, 600 kilo plus bullock, a good sell-up trade here. 185 to 311 per kilo, that's 1,100 euro to 2040 per head. 5 to 600 kilo bullock from 185 to 335 per kilo, 950 to 1850 per head. With a 4 to 500 kilo bullock from 175 to 335 per kilo, 750 to 1580 per head. With under 400 kilo, price range here, 150 to 345 per kilo, or from 
1180 per head. And today we'd have few, um, a few cattle from the Knockman her Christy Comerford's uh, breeding and they were absolutely magnificent stock uh, so it's uh, John of course and and uh, Miguel and all the rest are keeping that that uh, uh, should I say beacon burning and well done to them uh, Frisian cold cows unfortunately yes it definitely kicked back here 65 cent to 190 per kilo a lot of those cows from 110 20 30 per kilo they have uh, decreased considerably as have the continental cows 130 to 240 per kilo in the beef uh, uh, heifer section, a good solid trade, 240 uh, to 298 per kilo. Uh, that's in money wise, it's 1200 euro to 1970 per head. Four stores from 230 to 325 per kilo. A price range there of 980 to 1480 per head, with the lighter stores from 180 to 325 per kilo, or from 580 to 1060 per head. <coughs> Excuse me, Matthew. Okay, on the, ca- on the sheep front, you heard Eric talking about it. A little bit lively and uh, livelier than it has been in a long time. Butcher lands on 140 to 163 per head. The factories from 118 to 145 per head. And the store lamb from 78 to 111 per head. A good solid trade all around there. Cull use from 89 to 164 euro per head. Now, Kilkenny, if you have sheep, don't come on Monday because there won't be a sale of sheep on Monday. It will be on Tuesday in, in conjunction with our weaning sale. If you have weanings, perhaps you give us a buzz on Friday. Give us know, uh, let us know what you're bringing. Um, Thursday next, of course, we have our general cattle sale. A special sale of Angus, pedigree Angus, on Tuesday the 14th of November. I'll have more uh, more particulars about that next week. That's Tuesday the 14th of November in conjunction with our weaning sale. Before that, we have our dairy sale on Monday the 6th of November entry is still being taken for that sale uh, we, I mentioned last week and looking again uh, specifically in this weather if there's anyone out there with accommodation for 80 to 100 cattle shed uh, slatted unit whatever uh, even loose shed uh, let us know or get in touch with get in touch with the mart and they'll put you in touch with me now at the weekend it should be a relaxing time because bank holiday weekend Saver Kilkenny is on of course um, that that is going ahead this weekend Kilkenny we have the Duck Derby the uh, Lions Club at Duck Derby in aid of that special school uh, great uh, great fundraiser now that is uh, uh, pre you know weather might stop that fact going ahead you know we'll have to be sensible about it we don't want any uh, any and we have people on the river and boats so if they feel it's dangerous that will be postponed so but that's your ducks will run again um Yes, the um, Matt, you you've been here before. The Home Rule Club and Connollys of Dumbell, the sing song sessions they have. A few of the uh, people there, personnel who are absolutely magnificent uh, singers, have got together and created a lovely CD. Uh, every penny is going to the homeless in Kilkenny. It's worth it's ten euro. So if you'd like to get involved in buying that CD, uh, feel free. I'm in uh, Roscrea on Monday for the. Um, Premier limousine sale, and I'm in for El El Fin. County Roscommon on Saturday for a special uh, a potential suckler sale there for Tom Corbett. So whatever weekend or no, it's busy. A bit of driving involved. Oh, the Duracell bunny himself, George <laughs> Candler. I don't know how you manage it all. But you want to be. Hope you're having your Weetabix, or more likely your porridge. Much yeah, better job yeah, altogether. All, all that oats, like any good horse. Um, I should mention that uh, all those things on over the weekend. Uh, it's going to be hard to fit them in. Whether it's the Duck Derby, if it's running, uh, whether it's music in clears, whether it's the uh, county indeed. final, uh, and and we have to take into oh, yeah. account that the that the clocks are going back. Yeah, or, yeah, they're clocks falling back. back. And I suppose we should say, O'Loughlin Gales, 
Shamrocks, Ballyhale, the very best of luck. I'm sure Lachlan's would love to get there, but Shamrocks have no intention of surrendering, uh, surrendering e- easily, I'm told. And that's from the horse's mouth. Oh, Sean well, Reed, de- TJ's dad, said we're going to give it another go. So well, uh, There'll be no surrender from either side, I think, come <laughs> no, Sunday. No, and no, of course, no. uh, to, to, all to savour, and also to savour Kilkenny, uh, the best yes. to look to yeah. everyone for, for what will be a great foodie weekend. And uh, as I mentioned, the clock's going back, the repeat of uh, the farm show will still be on at 7 o'clock it'll be 7 o'clock old time not 7 o'clock new time so <laughs> <laughs> adjust your clocks and watches and everything uh, Put it uh, back to, an suit, hour. to suit the occasion <laughs> George you were listening to Jim Power oh, there yeah. a, a power of common sense absolutely you know the people who say we should reduce the herd here in Ireland we should claw back cost of emissions etc etc it's, it's a fallacy it's a fallacy. I think we want to be uh, seen as the poster boys in that respect, Matt. And Jim Power has just said it. Ideal place to uh, to produce the creme de creme of livestock. And if we're getting the weather also, of course, the, the be- best uh, corn producing pace also. So all in all, I think agriculture, uh, you know, people should... Cop on. What's going to happen first, Matt? What will happen when the uh, we have an expanding population? They need to be fed, and we want to reduce the food-producing animals here in Ireland. It doesn't make sense. And it, it, it absolutely, as I said, I have great respect for Jim Power. Uh, he's talked uh, and has talked tonight an awful lot of sense. The sums just don't add up, given, as you said, the population increases around the world and the fact that we are being induced, forced, coerced to reduce uh, production in the most productive agricultural areas of the world. And I'm specifically talking about about Western Europe there. A lot of the parts of the world where those population increases are going to be most notable by all predictions are also the areas which have the least ability and natural resources to produce enough food for themselves. Do do the sums. The equation doesn't add up as we're currently progressing. Very, very true, Matt. And as I said, at times it seems to be a glib thing, a good thing to do because everyone else is doing it. But uh, let's be let's be, use a little bit of common sense. And uh, I think uh, Jim Power summed it up admirably in what he said to John Purcell there. Yeah, and and that's not to say that farmers and the agri sector will not do its fair share of the lifting required to um, reduce climate change. Uh, um, across the world but on a little island you can only do so much but having said that it shouldn't come at the cost of food production I mean food and heat that's that's those correct. are the basic requirements correct, correct Matt yes as, as I said um, it, the so-called proposals don't make sense so you're off to the homeland uh, Roscommon Elfin on, on Saturday for, for a special sale down there and of course you know in that country um, not only do you have the west of Ireland where a lot of sucklers are still there Matt as you said they're hanging on and of course um, uh, you might have a bit of interest there from Northern Ireland also for the, so these are, are heifers that are ready to bull they're creme de creme stock so hopefully we have punters for each and every one our limousine sale will be on Monday hopefully we have plenty of uh, customers for those in Ross Gray so busy times ahead let's enjoy the weekend if you're off we'll continue our conversation off air but from me Matt O'Keefe to everyone concerned including Owen who engineered Martin who produced and from me Matt O'Keefe until next week farm well farm safely good night and goodbye
The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.